I recognize like, okay, something with what I'm doing with my mind is not working. So let me go back to this point where I'm really focused on feeling my body around me and taking a deep breath. Because most of the time when our mind chatters is because some part of us doesn't trust that if we just chill the fuck out, the thing that we want will happen, right? I'm not saying like do nothing. It's like taking action, but without trying to figure things out and like step out, like, you know, have the procedure and constantly second guess because that, that figuring things out is great for dialogue, right? Language is useful. Like if you're brainstorming someone, you have to exchange words, but figuring things out for yourself and like your, your direct experience with reality, where there's no other people involved that you have to use words for, there's no reason to spend a lot of time making words. The idea behind gnosis is that if you can enter the state of no mindedness of really being in your body, really being in reality, because the whole, the whole thing with being in your body, the whole point of that is that your body is your physical experience in material reality. The Ruando podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit ruando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. I want to speak today about... Uh, this idea of gnosis, gnosis spelled G-N-O-S-I-S, as in Gnostic Christianity or Gnosticism. And uh, it's coming up because I'm reading this book called Liber Null, um, which is a book on Western occultism or what people would call magic. And I got this recommendation from my buddy from the grave, Robert Anton Wilson, whose work I've been reading a lot. If you listen to the podcast, I've mentioned him a few times. But he has this idea of gnosis and uh, this book, I mean, I might speak more about the book in another episode, um, but it's basically kind of a procedural manual for tapping into aspects of your unconscious that can create things in your life, um, can be seen as metaphorically or literally, depending on how much of the mystical lens you want to adopt. I find it really interesting. There's procedures in it, and it's very specific and very in line with a lot of the Jungian psychology stuff that I'm already really into and is... Uh, maybe a more grounded way to approach these mystical ideas. But um, this uh, idea, I mean, one of his most basic principles is this idea of gnosis or entering a state of no-mindedness. And it brought up a lot of things for me because I recognized that even though I didn't have the language for it, this is an idea that I've thought about and returned to many times in my life at different points for different reasons. And um, so I want to speak about it today. Uh, I'm also going to speak a little bit about... Um, my young, I mean, I wouldn't say childhood, adolescent heartbreaks and how they tie into this um, certain points of intense creativity that I've had looking back um, where I was able to make things, basically make my intentions happen. You could say manifestation or materialize, basically make things happen that I wanted to happen. A lot of them were driven by depression or love or some extreme emotion. Um, but I, in reading this book last night, uh, I kind of, some of these things came up and I realized I could draw I can basically tie some things together that I think would be useful for whoever listens to this. Okay, so my whole thing with mysticism, just to start here, especially if this somehow was the first episode of this podcast you're listening to and you're like, like what, what's this guy talking about magic and whatever. Um, my background, I mean, I should say that if, if you've heard my story about the time I was in a cult, I did go kind of deep into entertaining occult ideas, occult ideas and mystical ideas. Um, I did kind of detach and go into a period of uh, taking on ideas that I, I previously would find skeptical or I would be skeptical of. The years after the cult, I kind of went far in the other direction of like kind of divorcing myself from anything that wasn't provable with cause and effect, what we would call uh, scientific. But then in more recent years, 
was getting into Carl Jung's work, whose book I have in the back. Um, it's kind of like a return, like going into the unconscious and looking at things through that lens has kind of been a return to mysticism from a more grounded perspective for me. So um, this is why I've basically been reading a lot of magic books lately and, and recognizing that even if you don't take the mystical part or manifestation part, literally, um, there is something to, and we all know this, anybody who's done a creative act, whether it's through writing or any sort of art, you, you recognize there is a mystical aspect to at least the creation of ideas. And if you just like pull on that thread and you follow that path, you do find like, oh, there, there is something to creating things in reality. And, um, you know, the, the definition of magic that I use as, I mean, when I'm speaking, when I say magic throughout this episode, what I'm talking about is essentially the materialization of your will in a way that cause and effect can't be directly related, right? Like if I, if my will is to lift this cup and I pick up this cup, well, I know one would call that magic. I mean, I mechanically uh, moved objects in space. It's not, you know, the cause and effect are, are obviously linked, but if I have the intention of something coming to me or meeting a person or having an experience or something unlocking, we could call that, we could put that in the realm of magic. And even all of us, even those of us who are the most skeptical, if you're just honest with yourself, there's definitely times where like, maybe you're in the DMV line, you're hoping your number gets called next and like, you're like, make my number happen next and just happens, you know, or something like that. Like we all entertain these superstitions, no matter what, it's part of human nature. So I, I look at it from an entertainment perspective, but also like, I do think there's something to this. And I would say, um, going back to some of the Robert Anton Wilson ideas that I've spoken about a lot this year on the podcast, like if you just consider that everything in reality is a projection of consciousness, right? Like this microphone that I'm seeing, uh, light is bouncing off of that. My eyes are receiving it, sending it through the optic nerve. The optical part of my brain is recreating an image that now I perceive as this microphone. If we recognize that everything we perceive in reality is this, like it's a recreation in our, in our, in our brain of what our uh, five sense organs are taking in, um, we could then take that idea, extrapolate on that. If like, oh, if you can change um, how your mind is perceiving things, you are changing what you are perceiving. You're, you are changing your reality. Like there's no way for us to know if there even is such a thing as purely objective reality because all of us are experienced reality subjectively. Anyway, that's, that's all I'll say as far as caveats. Um, so I was reading this book last night. Um, this, this week, I've kind of been in this weird state where um, Basically, I think I've just been overtraining my body. I'm preparing for a jujitsu competition. I've been working out. I'm doing strength training six days a week, uh, going to jujitsu three or four days a week. I just like kind of hit a wall and I just needed to rest a little more um, and kind of relates to the, a story from high school. I'm, I'm gonna, I might tell later, but um, so I've been trying to relax, but I've been watching like action movies at night, which is not helping me relax. So last night I was like, let me go back to what I know actually relaxes me. Uh, I took a bath. Um, I turned off my electronics around 8 p.m. and I spent some time reading this book, Libernal, which I'm going to read some quotes from. And it speaks about gnosis, this idea of no-mindedness. And I recognized, I remembered that in many periods of my life, usually driven by desperation or depression or something like that, or like um, it's always driven by either like desperation for money or for love, if I'm honest, looking back at my life, I've gone into these periods where I've basically cleared everything. I, I've gone through these periods where like every night I would have like a, a ritual of a sense where I would read, I read very slowly on purpose. I would like, like really focus on something I was reading, whether it was like a mindset book or like a positive thinking book, or I'm going I'm to share the different things I've different schools of thought I've followed. 
Um, but I've, I've basically read in a certain way where I would take notes and I would read really slowly. I would read in kind of a meditative state, focusing on my breathing, really feeling my body, like feeling my body tingling. And I, I re-remember this. I haven't done this in a while. I haven't gone like a long period of doing this and remembering that every time I've done this in my life, things have happened really quickly. Like I usually got into it because I was just, I was depressed for some reason or heartbroken for some reason, trying to make something happen. Um, but I don't know if you could hear the airplane. I have this amazing house in this very quiet Thai neighborhood, but I'm right under a flight path. It's annoying for me. And these periods that I've done this like ritually, often just to like overcome like my mental chatter or like call a mental health issue or like depression. Um, I've gotten into a phase where not only did I switch off the depression, I went into this like mode of like hyper creativity, whether creative uh, creating like artistically through writing or just like making things happen in my life, which we can maybe call, call magic if you want to play with that. So anyway, I I just want to make a sidebar for a second. I'm trying this new thing where I'm uh, not spending so much time preparing for podcasts and just like jotting down some notes and sharing. It's kind of coming from, uh, you know, everything with the internet. I'm going to probably do another episode some other time about my personal issues with the artist marketer dilemma, like trying to be authentic online and how, I mean, everyone says you got to keep posting and I feel really bad. Like yesterday, actually, I uh, re-downloaded Instagram um, because I... Been working with this awesome branding team. They're great, but they're like, if we're gonna if we're gonna work with you, you have to be on Instagram. You have to be posting. I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, my very awesome uh, beloved girlfriend also is reminding me to, or encouraging me to post. Uh, I guess to, you know, just encouraging me. Um, but also, I mean, she and I probably wouldn't have connected if I didn't have an Instagram. So there's that. But I I, I had this like loathing for Instagram because on a conceptual level. I don't like contributing to a thing that gets it's specifically designed to get people addicted to their phone. Like I, it's, it's, it's the opposite of today's topic of like single pointed focus or no mindedness. It's like, it sucks up all your attention. It's designed to suck up all your attention. And I'm speaking for myself too. Like I'm not beyond it because even though like, I'm not even posting to Instagram directly myself anymore, I have my very awesome media person who does that shout out to Christina, but knowing that I, even have posts going up like there's a part of me that like ends up going to Instagram on my uh, Chrome browser to look like oh you know maybe there's a comment I have to engage with um, which I don't I never really do anyway but then I look at my you know I I look at the ego validation I got from a post that someone else posted and then I end up scrolling Instagram right because it, it gets you hooked and I and I hate that and it always happens to me in moments of idleness uh like you know I have 10 minutes free between things I'm doing. I'm sitting on the couch and my phone's there. I just responded to a message and then I, uh, well, I could just get a little more dopamine, check in uh, Instagram. And it's in those moments of idleness that I feel like it just like deletes whatever free attention I have because that attention, those moments, whether it's 10 minutes or five minutes or an hour, those are the key moments where you can really focus your energies and make things happen. Again, take the grounded perspective of like, just being creative and accessing the ideas of your unconscious and like putting it into action or something a little bit beyond that, where like you're doing the same thing, you're focusing your attention and your energy and ideas and like making something happen in reality. They're not that different if you think about it. Um, but those moments of idleness are those, those are the opportunities for no-mindedness. So let's go into gnosis. Gnosis is as Peter Carroll, who wrote Liberal Null describes is going to a state where you are perceiving, but you're not thinking. Like you're not thinking actively. You're 
in the state, you're basically not thinking in words. Or if you've ever tried to just like, can you not think for a second? Some people have a really hard time with it. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, so I was mentioning that even though I didn't have a word for it in the past, um, I looked back at my life and like, I guess starting from high school when I started having like really, a really hard time in life, um, I would go through these periods and it made me, and I, I went back all the way, like going backwards, like there've been times, I guess more recently, it's been less about love and more about, you know, periods of wor worrying about money, like going into like intense creativity modes. Like I need to like take care of my mental state. I need to take care of my emotions. I need to make sure that I'm really settled at night. Then going back through different times where essentially, as I mentioned, I would get really depressed. I'd be like, I need to do something to get, get out of depression. And I would pick this like far reaching goal. And like, because I didn't know what to do with that goal every night, I would like prepare my mind. Like I was almost like I was preparing for war or something, but like, I need to settle everything down. I have no margin forever. I got to focus and not focus of just like obsessively thinking, but focus of like, I need to settle myself down. Um, and I've got, and basically <laughs> I'm gonna actually read straight from my journal. You're getting a sneak peek into, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, this is, I was just journaling this to myself. Like at my greatest periods of life creation, I spent my nights either reading with focused intention or cultivating arousal. I'll talk about arousal control some other time, but like doing those two things where I'm like cultivating, it's like I'm, I'm trying to gather all of, all of my energy. And the very first time I recognized this, even though I didn't have a word for it, um, and this is actually kind of like my, my origin or my, um, the reason why I even do what I do. I, so I had a really hard time with my social anxiety I'd say from a really young age, but it became particularly bad in high school because everything, I mean, I've, most people, many people have a hard time in high school. It's a, it's a very, um, it can be, it can be a very challenging social hierarchy, especially if you're shy, if you're uh, lower status, if you're having a hard time speaking up, you also have the, all those hormones trying to get you to connect sexually with someone. If you have a hard time socializing, certainly that pressure coming from your pants can just add to the pressure that's already in your head. Um, I don't mean to make light of it because like, you know, anyway, I, I, I fell very deeply in love with someone when I was like 14, 15. Um, and even though I look back at it now and it's like, well, it was really, I look back at it and I think I remember some of the thoughts I thought and how like, I was kind of deluded. I was kind of, you know, it was, it was puppy love, right? I don't, I'm not trying to make, it wasn't like an epic anything. But in my personal experience, just because I had never been in love before, I'd never been in love and driven by hormones um, I never, you know, I never been in love and like with a kind of, we're close to an adult brain. It was one of the most uh, potent experiences in my life. And, and truthfully, you know, I think I'm reapproaching it, but I don't know that I've had my heart open that much since I've, I've come very close, especially in my current relationship. I'm, I'm working towards that. And, um, but it's like, I mean, I think it's true for a lot of people. Like if you've never had your heart broken, you didn't bring, you didn't, uh, create, you haven't created the defense mechanisms that cause you from not having your heart open, right? Like I was, you're, I was, I was a blank slate at the time. I had no defense mechanism yet. And I went through a period of deep depression. I guess I'll, I'll tell the story. I mean, I, I mean, I had this obsessive crush on someone who was started off as like just a good friend, a good female friend of mine. And I was so shy that even though I saw her every day and interacted with her every day, well, even though I saw her every day and interacted with her every day and every day I'd be like, this is the day I'm going to ask her out. I'm going to, you know, I would rehearse it at night. I would, I would go home and I, I would do the opposite of gnosis. I would have like a lot of mental chatter and I would constantly be replaying this in my head. And like, I'd be like psyching myself up and I, or I would go back and forth between 
you know, uh, self berating for not asking her out the day before. And then like psyching myself up for the next day. It was like this manic depressive cycle. I went through every single day and I'd go to school and I'd see her. And then like my voice would be gone. And I, this would happen every day. And like, you think you look back and you can see this, like in, in high school, in movies about high school, there's always, there's often uh, a guy or a girl sometimes in a situation like this. And we look back and it's cute. But in my situation, it, it went far beyond the, it, it, it lasted so long, it went beyond cute, became like kind of nauseating and gross. And like, there's a point where like almost everyone in our social group or many people in the school knew this was the case for me. Like I did, I was so oblivious. I didn't realize that everyone knew about this. So like every day I would go to school, I'd become embarrassed, I'd go home. And it was like this, this hell, this hellish loop I was in. And even though, you know, whatever, puppy love, personal fables, high school, is it, was it, but in my personal experience, this was, this, this was hell. And it wasn't just about getting with her. It was just the, the fact that I couldn't express myself. It's like every day I would try to do this thing and my, and I would like, my body was out of control. It's like the opposite of being able to materialize your intention. My intention, even with my own body, it's like, I couldn't even pick up the cup that was in front of me. This was a very hellish experience. And I, <laughs> I will say on, on Valentine's day. So I, after maybe four months of doing this every day, I eventually gave up. It was like, all right, my, I, I can't make myself ask her out. I'm just going to give up. And I kind of gave up. But then I remember on Valentine's Day, I was on the bus to school, the city bus, because I grew up in Brooklyn. And I saw all these people and other kids uh, with like Valentine's Day cards. And like, I had this like manic swell of like, oh, no, this, I, I, I mean, I can't, I can't not ask her out. I'm going to, I'm going to regret it the rest of my life if I don't ask her out, which I think is true. I'm glad I did do this, even though I was crazy and manic. So I, I cut my first uh, few periods of class. I went to the CVS. I bought the, I bought like this, you know, I bought a Valentine's Day card. And then I spent like another period of class cutting and like writing her this poem on a loose leaf paper and like two or three pages of loose leaf paper. And I folded and I put in the card. And uh, I, I mean, much of the school knew that I had this huge crush on her. So she, she was hiding, basically hiding from me all day in our school. And I was like looking for her all day. And you know, I finally found her after school and I asked her out and she said, no, as, as one expected. And it was like this huge heartbreaking moment. But as I've spoken about on the podcast, like men, boys need to experience failure, right? Like it would have been worse for me, I think in the long run, had I not gotten an opportunity to express myself. Like I needed to fail actually, that failure and that like acute heartbreak. And like, instead of going from this formless state where I didn't know if she liked me or not, I mean, at least consciously, I didn't know. I think unconsciously I knew she didn't. Like I had to experience that no for like to collapse the wave function and move on with my life. Because I think this is true for a lot of people who are afraid of a certain outcome. They never actually take the steps. They live in this formless soup of like, the cat is both dead and alive and they never actually open the box to find out. You can't move on with your life until you do. And I think for men, especially, or people who are, driven by their androgen system you kind of need to face the hard facts or results even if they're even if they're negative results anyway that's not the point of today's episode so I, that's what got me in the personal development track that's what got me to start working out and uh, I, I became really good friends with a, a guy who I think had a similar experience I don't I don't actually know exactly what happened to him but I think he he asked out someone who he had a huge crush on on Valentine's Day and she'd rejected him and he, he and I were kind of acquaintances, but we bonded on our heartbreak, even though we never, never spoke about it, but we like became really close friends. And we had like this mutual goal of like becoming awesome. Like we wanted to become confident. We want to transform ourselves. So we spent that summer where I would go to his house every day. I'd, I, he lived 45 minutes away. Brooklyn is big. If you don't know, uh, I would bike to his place 
every every morning 45 minutes this 45 minute bike ride through the streets of brooklyn um we would work out we would get high and then he had these eckhart Tolle tapes um the power of now books on audio tape cassette tape this is i mean yeah this was 15 plus years ago 17 years ago maybe and that's what we did every day we would lift weights we would get high we would listen to eckhart Tolle. <clears throat> and Eckhart Tolle was the first person who, who I'd heard. I mean, it was one of the, probably the first spirituality book that I ever consumed. And he speaks about being in the now. He'd speak about, you know, um, I forget the other words, like listening to silence or basically all this, this basically this idea of gnosis, of no-mindedness. Where you empty your mind and you just be, you just be an experience, you just be in the now. And uh, this friend of mine, like we would, you know, we were getting, we were lifting weights, we were drinking protein shakes, drinking raw eggs together, getting high and like, just like basically listening to Eckhart Tolle meditating. It was a very transformative summer for me. Um, Cause we, and we also, we were like supporting each other. We had this idea like, oh, if we can just really be in the now, then like everything we want will happen. Like we'll be confident, we'll be popular, we'll, we'll get girlfriends, all the things that, that are cool. We started our junior year of high school a few months later and we found out that the, the, the real world didn't really just because we were being in the now and being present uh, didn't mean that like life just magically happened for us, right? Like, and we became really frustrated, became very jaded. I think both of us became very angry at Mr. Toll for uh, making us think that, oh, if we just be present and we just focus on the now, like Matt, like, everything was gonna fall into place. He actually went down this like kind of dark hole where like, I don't know, I, I won't say much about him. He kind of had like some things of close to a psychotic break. Um, and I just, I just became depressed again because here I was putting all this time into being present and, and lifting weights and like, you know, quieting my mental chatter as far as I knew. And I still, I actually went through another, a similar cycle with a different woman who I had a crush on who actually liked me, I mean, woman, girl, we were, we were 16, I was 16 at least. Um, same thing every day I would, I would, uh, psych myself up to ask her out. I'd see her, I, I would lose my voice. I couldn't speak. Uh, I would hate myself for half the afternoon and evening. And then right before I went to bed, I'd psych myself up. All right, tomorrow's going to be the day. And it was like another like Groundhog's Day um, situation. And, then, and I kind of um, moved away from this Eckhart Tolle guy. I was like, this, this power of now stuff is bullshit. Doesn't work. You know, I can be present as fuck, but like I, it still doesn't do anything. Right. Uh, so I went back to this frustration. And that's when I started finding more like material uh, or mechanical self-help, like this was a little bit before the pickup community existed, but there was dating advice online. There's this guy, David D'Angelo, whose real name is Evan Pagan, who had this idea of cocky funniness. Oh, I just want to say this aside. Like, so I don't, uh, I, I comment on like the dating advice world a lot, or I have been lately. And I kind of have been trying to separate, like when someone calls me a dating coach, I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a dating coach. Even though I do help a lot of guys with their, with their uh, intimacy issues, whether sexually or, or dating wise. Um, and I kind of forgot, it was only after like recounting, I mean, this story, but also I'm not going to tell all every time in my life that I've had this kind of thing, but like this th type of thing has happened a lot. And for most of my formative experiences, in some way, it's been about a girl. And I, and I kind of forgot, especially in, in recent years where I've been really focused on what I think are deeper, more important things like archetypal masculinity and, and going, um, yeah, I mean, these, these, what I, or like, you know, the father nature or these more adult things, I've often forgotten that, like, my personal path has 
largely been, even though it's been really about loving myself and finding who, who I am and, and expressing expression of self, it has largely been tied to uh, the desire for a connection, desire for intimacy with a woman. Um, and I don't know, it's just something I forgot about because uh, I think I've maybe been not so empathetic to to guys who reach, or, you know, just, just guys who are having like these, I actually, I'm not even gonna say that. I just forgot. That's all I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it at that. Because I also, um, when I was thinking about this art, artist marketer dilemma, my my branding people, friends, they're like, oh, I mean, typical marketing advice is like, you're all only in one of three categories is either health, wealth, or relationships. And like, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the life journey, what's like, where does life journey fall into? And it's like, no, 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 like my, my thing is relationships. And I kind of forgot even with everything else I talk about, like there is some coreness of like a lot of guys get into this type of work, whether, you know, even, even generally speak, thinking about their masculinity or, or their ability to be a leader or their confidence in general, or their creative purpose. There is some like root either unconscious through like boyhood pain, or even you could say like through biological instincts that you're doing all of this to connect with a, a partner, a mate, someone that you, to, to love and be loved essentially. And I don't know, I, don't, I just wanted to say that. I guess it's, I guess I'm kind of just like reading off of my morning morning journaling and this is just the thought I had. So anyway, I wanna go back to Gnosis. Um, so I went to this phase of like following like this proto pickup advice. I mean, in, in the sense of like, not, not even like in terms of picking up anyone, it's just like how to, how to be attractive to women, which was like a very meaningful thing. And I wanna say like, even though the pickup community turned into like kind of this like uh, Aspie, often misogynistic thing. Um, and actually I'll, I'll just say like with Evan Pagan's work, David D'Angelo's work, I mean, he was an internet marketer who, who made a lot, you know, he was an internet marketer. Uh, I never actually bought any of his programs. Um, I met him at a cocktail party once and I meant to tell him this, but I, I, I mean, I got, I got, I don't know. I didn't know how to say it. I felt awkward. Um, I never actually bought any of his programs because I followed his work when I was 15, 16. I didn't have a credit card or anything. But his marketing emails, even though he, he was more like to sell his programs and all that stuff and whatever advice, which I don't even know what, what was in his programs, his marketing emails changed my life. Like just the idea that like he would just tell these stories, obviously, to, to sell his program or to inspire people. And, but he got into my head that, oh, it is possible for me to change. Like if I learn, if I learn some things, I can change who I am and I could change my reality, which is essentially, I guess, why I do the work I do. I, it. it it, rec it helped me recognize that even even the state I was in where I, I was so afraid of the world and so unable to even speak speak regular, I mean, in the sense of being able to lift a cup, like I couldn't even do that, forget about manifesting big things. Like I just couldn't, my character was so de depleted. Um, just knowing that there were, having hope that I could change meant a lot to me. And um, if I see him again at a cocktail party, I'm gonna tell him that um, or anywhere. Where was I? All right. So high school got into like this stuff, but then, all right. So I started consuming all this dating advice stuff that would eventually become pickup advice. And some of it was useful. Some of it was not, but put me a lot in my head. And the thing that, uh, you know, I don't know if it's unfortunate, a lot of it still works though. Right. Like a lot of it kind of, this is long before the red pill community existed. I mean, this was maybe a decade before that became a thing on the internet, but you know, like a lot of their advice as I've spoken about is basically trying to, take advantage of attachment theory. Like a lot of their advice teaches men to act as avoidance because that triggers the anxiety that lives in most women and they, and that creates attachment. Although it's kind of like a, it's not a, it's not, it's not a, it's not a real connection necessarily. It could be, I'm not saying it's always not. I mean, there's a lot of 
really stand up guys in the red pill community. Uh, even the guys giving advice, some of them I've met and they, they're like solid dudes, even though I think they're a little bit, a little bit angry <laughs> for my taste, but a lot of people I've seen interpret their advice or interpret like typical red pill philosophy. And they're basically trying to trigger anxiety in women. I mean, there's even a, a competition or there's even a term in uh, Rolo Tomasi's book, The Rational Male, uh, where he speaks about competition anxiety and like purposefully triggering competition anxiety in your wife or your girlfriend or the woman you're interested in to get her attached to you, which uh, to me, forget about ethics, forget about morals. It's just, um, it just seems, sounds like a tiring way to live as opposed to like really connecting, like really being intimate where you don't have to be on edge. You don't have to be at war uh, in the sexual marketplace at all times. That's going to be a total, that's another, that's another episode's topic. Anyway, I got really into my head about this stuff, like tr constantly trying to like uh, game women. I, you know, I'm embarrassed to put it that way. It's how my mind was at the time. And actually the, th the thing was like a lot of it actually worked. The same girl who rejected me when I was 15, this is now two years later, uh, my senior year of high school, the same girl who rejected me now because I was essentially being kind of mean to her. Um, I was being not needy, I should say, but I was also kind of being mean she liked me and like, you know, it took me like two years to really transform at least outwardly. Um, you know, I, I physically had transformed. I gained like 20 pounds. I, uh, I was doing really well in wrestling and I was kind of like mean, I was no longer, I wasn't, yeah, I was kind of being mean. Like I wasn't seeking the validation that I had been seeking from everyone all the time uh, prior to that, which I guess made me more attractive. Not I guess it made me more attractive even if only superficially. Um, and I remember uh, we started vibing. I started recognizing, oh shit, like I actually think she likes me. Like I had, I had written that off years ago, which is probably why I was being a little mean to her, maybe out of resentment, unfortunately. Apologies to, to you if you somehow end up watching this. Um, uh, I, I was like, oh shit, I think she actually likes me. And it, and, it, and it spun me into these same anxious thoughts that I had as a 15 year old. And I remembered like, I was trying to like, like uh, compile all the data about social dynamics that I learned from like these internet forums and stuff. And I remember like going crazy and some part of me recognized this is not, this is not right. And I remember this phase, it was like, a, it was like a courtship phase, you know, that exciting phase, which I think is more meaningful when you're in high school than it is as an adult. But even as an adult, there's like this giddiness where like you're kind of vibing with someone, you know, and you don't really know if they like you or not. Actually, I had this experience with my, my current partner. Like there was a point where like, I just knew I was in love with her, but I didn't know how she felt about me. Like there's something, there's something flirty, but I didn't know, I didn't know. And like, there's that phase where like, it's really exciting because you don't know. I mean, you're in that state of like the cats both live, live and dead. And I mean, it's possible you'll get rejected. It's possible that you'll connect. Anyway, being in that, in that phase, I remember every time I would go home uh, at night, uh, you know, after maybe an interaction with her at school, I would have this uh, temptation, I should say, to, to entertain those anxious thoughts again, like, or either anxious thoughts or like controlling thoughts of like, how do I, how do I make the results happen? And like both of these things, some part of me, I don't know where this came from. Maybe it was like Eckhart Tolle coming back from uh, two years ago and like whispering in my ear, like something about this, like, this is not the right way to go about it. Like I, I didn't think in these words, but I was like, this is, this is only going to make you more anxious. Um, so this is the first time I, I think I really, adopted this idea of no-mindedness because every time I would start to e either have an anxious thought, a negative thought, instead of, because I also, with the whole like dating advice stuff, I, in that same world, this was like, this is 
before that world was very structured, there's a lot of people throwing out the idea of positive thinking. This is also before the law of attraction became popular. It's like, you know, I was like trying to like, oh yeah, don't think negatively, think positively, think, visualize your goals and, you know, figure out the procedure to make things happen. And it was like, it was a lot of mental chatter. Some part of me was like, don't even try to think positively, just don't think. And every time I would have either controlling or anxious thought, I would stop, I would take a breath just like that and try to go as long as I could without having a thought, without having words. And this, it, was all, it wasn't that I wasn't thinking, it was that I was thinking without words. It was like, just like trying to feel, okay, I have this desire to connect with this girl who I've had this crush on for my entire adolescence. Um, but I'm not even, gonna, I'm not gonna think in words. I wasn't like, I mean, for me to communicate with you, you have to use words, but like these was like, this was like the feeling I was thinking and I was doing my best not to put words to it. Because once you put words to it, you're kind of reducing, I mean, in my interpretation, you're reducing the expansive uh, high bandwidth feeling into something small. I mean, we do this with language that we can share it. You know, I can't like just transmit my feelings to you and all the, the data that's in, in my in my emotional experience to you without using words. So we have to do it for communication, but the, the, with, with creating in your life, there's no benefit, like your internal dialogue, unless you're a writer or something who has to eventually turn your thoughts into words, your feelings into words, there isn't really a benefit to reducing your thoughts and feelings into words. Like, like when you're talking to yourself in your head or you're talking to a person in your head, like why, why, why there's no reason to put it into words. If you take, if you adopt, my idea that uh, when you put it into words, you're actually reducing something, you're abstracting something that is big and expansive into something small. It's kind of like trying to explain a joke or talking about what makes a painting beautiful kind of takes away from the beauty, you know? Um, so anyway, I'll go through this practice of essentially taking a deep breath, trying to feel my feelings, because actually feeling my body, and I don't know where I got this from, but even when I was uh, 15 and, and speaking with my buddy, like we would, we would, like almost had like this book club every day about what we just listened to in the Eckhart Tolle tapes. We both intuited somehow that being in the now had something to do with really feeling your body around you. And I don't know where this came from because I don't think this was in the power of now. Like I remember he and I, before, before he had a psychotic break, um, we would sit in the, in the library in our, in our high school because we had like maybe an hour between High, our, our classes ending and wrestling practice starting. So we sit in the, in the library and we would talk really loudly. <laughs> we would talk uncomfortably loudly and because we, and we would even talk about how we're talking loudly because it's like, if we really are present and we really are like not attached to what people think, like, why shouldn't we talk? Anyway, that was just being us silly high school kids. Um, but we talk about like, like, all right, can you feel your feet right now? And we go back and forth. Can you feel your feet? Can you feel your thighs? Can you feel your arms? You go through like, yeah, it's like kind of hard to feel my thighs. Sometimes I don't feel my thighs. And like, even now while you're listening to this, I hope you're listening and not watching. There's no reason for you to watch this video. And, and just mini public service announcement. If you are consuming this and you find this entertaining, I, I'm grateful. I would highly, I mean, we might go another 10 minutes or so, but I highly uh, encourage you to listen to this uh, in audio format um, on my podcast rather than watch the video because I feel very, with, with my loathing of Instagram, I feel very strongly about people not sitting and watching videos that are really just audio content, you know, Put it in, put in your earbuds, download the podcast, go for a walk, stretch, do some push-ups, anything. Anyway, back to the story. And I'll go into these, you know, every time I had anxious thought, I take a deep breath. I do my best to not think in words, but then like kind of naturally, the, where does your attention go? If you're not going to reduce your attention into words, where does it go? I mean, kind of naturally you start becoming aware of your body around you. 
and like uh and i had this word uh, for it i would call it sensorization because i needed like a, a term i was like this is me like really paying attention to the sensations in my body and every time i did that it would go away and i remember there were moments um uh she and i the, the, this girl i had a huge crush on for many years she and i were like in this school band and uh, there's another guy in the band who i knew like liked her and he would flirt with her and like they would like um uh there's a moment I remember we were driving to like this performance that you know, like the three of us were in a car, one of our parents were driving and he was, um, he made some joke or like some song came on the radio and like he started singing it and she starts or they started singing it together. And a part of me like my competitive mind who like wanted to like, you know, maximize my 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 results at every moment was like, oh, wait, maybe I should sing along too. But I was like, wait, I don't really feel like singing this this is like me being try hard like that's the term I got from the pickup ebooks like but but more importantly, like what I re like really wanted to do, what I, what I intuited was really the right thing was just not think. And like, I don't really feel like doing that. So let me just like not think and be present and focus. And it took a little bit of faith because kind of like, kind of from the magical lens we talked to, to, uh, brought in the beginning, I think, you know, a rational mind wants to think, okay, there's a, there's an outcome I want. There's a cause that I can make this effect happen. What do I do to make this thing happen? And like, in that moment, I remember being in the car, sitting next to them, you know, feeling a little competitive and then being like, you know what, I'm not going to do this thing just because I'm trying to get a result. I'm going to, I'm going to be do right by myself and like, and have faith because in this, I mean, this might be seem like a, such a silly example in talking about high school, high school crush, but for me to not do the thing that I felt like would get me the results took a lot of faith on my part. Like some part of me was like the right thing to do in this moment is to just be with myself, feel my body and empty my mind. And uh, essentially that thing is what allowed me to take the natural behaviors to connect with her. And we did eventually end up dating for a while, uh, which was kind of like a moral heroic victory for me. I know talking about high school, getting the girl probably seems really been like silly and like meaningless, but um, that, that was like a huge point in my life. I didn't, I didn't maintain it. I, I, again, my, my chattering thoughts came, uh, came about. I think that is what caused uh, my anxiety return. I ended that relationship. I've gone through many phases where like, I've been anxious again. Like I haven't, I haven't always listened to this advice. Maybe now that I I've shared it now on a podcast, uh, I will always remember it. But um, in other periods, like I'm not going to tell all the, all the different stories, but essentially the same thing is often because I was depressed I recognize like, okay, something with what I'm doing with my mind is not working. So let me go back to this point where I'm really focused on feeling my body around me and taking a deep breath. And because most of the time when our mind shatters is because some part of us doesn't trust that if we just chill the fuck out, the thing that we want will happen, right? I'm not saying like do nothing. It's like taking action, but without trying to figure things out and like step like you know have the procedure and constantly second guess because that that figuring things out is great for dialogue right language is useful like if you're brainstorming with someone you have to exchange words but figuring things out for yourself and like your your direct experience with reality where there's no other people involved that you have to use words for there's no reason to spend a lot spend a lot of time making words right like essentially the idea behind gnosis is that if we can enter the state of no mindedness of like really being in your body, 
really being in reality, because the whole, the whole thing with being in your body, the whole point of that is that your body is your physical experience in material reality. And we're talking about creating your intentions or magic or just like being productive or creating a lifestyle design to use a much, uh, a very non-mystical term involves you changing things in reality, whether you're moving physical objects around or making your business grow or connecting with someone or traveling the world or whatever it is, like anything that we intend or manifest, we're, we're typically not talking about, um, abs- you're not talking about ethereal things. When we talk about magic, we're talking about making things happen in the physical reality, the three-dimensional simulation that we experience. Um, so that's why it's important to be in your body because your body is that, right? If you're clenching, if you're going into this mental chatter world and you're tensing your neck and you're clenching your butthole and like you're, you're disconnecting from your body, which is why I hate the fucking phones because when you're on Instagram and you're scrolling, your attention is getting sucked into the electronic world. And anytime you see someone on their phone, they're always doing something weird with their body, right? You see someone like scrolling Instagram, they, they never look happy and serene and zen out. No one ever looks that way. If people actually became like zen out and like, whatever, when they were scrolling Facebook, I would be all for scrolling Facebook. But when, every time we see someone scrolling Facebook, even if they're like, yeah, I'm looking at these things, co- commenting, like they're always doing something like their, their face contorts. They, they Very often people do this, people do weird things with their neck. They, they don't recognize their postures uh, getting all wacky and stuff. Like that is not creating a, a reality. You're getting sucked up into this artificial fake one, which um, yeah, it's the opposite of creating from no-mindedness. Um, so I want to end with uh, I want to end with a quote. Uh, I was thinking about making this this uh, this thing I'm about to read. Um, actually, I want to, I want to end with like I, I'm speaking about this thing. I, I want to focus. I want to end with uh, what I consider the procedure. Like so, when I speak about no mindedness, and and just to boil down why this is important, and I will read this first quote uh, from the book. Uh, he who is doing his true will is guided by the momentum of the universe. I might make a whole other episode on, on that and like aligning your true will, but essentially one of Peter Carroll's ideas is that when the thing that we say we want isn't happening is because some part of ours is against it. Like you can even look at um, Stephen Pressfield's idea of resistance. Like you have this desire to create, you have this desire to write the book, but an, if an equal amount of resistance comes up to meet it, well, well, nothing happens. They cancel each other out. You need to overcome the resistance, right? Um, Peter Carroll's model, which is a little more mystical, is like uh, there's like the will of the universe and there's the will of the individual ego. And if those things are separate, I mean, you can replace that with like the will of the conscious mind and the will of the unconscious mind, if you want, given that perhaps everything we experience is a projection of our unconscious mind. But if you, if you align those things, it's kind of a... A Taoist idea as well. If you can get on the stroke, if you can align yourself with the flow of the universe, things move for you. Like you're moving uh, together. So this idea, and this is going back to Stephen Pressfield's idea of like creativity. I, Stephen Pressfield in The War of Art, he shares that he doesn't believe that people can choose anything for their destiny, right? He believes like you're not born as a blank slate. You're born with something. Like you're born with like pre-programmed or predetermined interests or callings. Like you know, just because you grew up in a musical family doesn't mean that music's your thing. You might be the one painter. You might be the one computer programmer. Like that's where you express yourself. And like for you to do anything other than this thing that clearly gives you so much joy and you have this natural competence in, if you don't do that thing, you're actually doing a disservice to yourself. Like that is like in you already. And knowing who what that is is important for you to find the fulfillment and move the momentum of the universe. That, that is the, that is the will of the universe. Um, going back to Gnosis, the whole point of this, this, uh, this episode, 
when you enter this gnosis state, you, you don't have the controlling ego mind. You don't have the controlling rational mind of trying to figure out procedures and make things happen. You are returning to, again, you could say the unconscious flow of life, the unconscious uh, flow of the universe or the universe flowing through you, however, whatever model that you want. And you're actually just not getting in your own way and you're letting it guide you. So there's no resistance. Um, and I'll, I'll go back to my, you know, silly, simple example from high school. Like I think about these moments where or, and this has happened many times in, in many of my significant uh, love relationships and even like certain moments in my career, uh, which maybe I'll save some for other time, where entering the state of no minded trust and faith in something, faith in the universe, faith in my, my unconscious abilities, had me take actions that I couldn't possibly think of or pre plan. Um, I think with relating to women, it, it's simple. Like if you're thinking, if you're doing like the pickup thing of trying to think of like, oh, what's the thing to say next or do next to make the result happen, as opposed to just being in the moment and feeling and letting the moment tell you what to do or like following the feelings of the moment. It, like you can never possibly think, and this is for all the guys who are maybe early on in their stage of learning how to be confident in intimacy. Like you can never pre-program or like predetermine like, oh, when's the right moment to put my arm around her? When's the right moment to tell her I like her? The right moment to kiss her? Like you can never plan that correctly. The best you can do is be present and let the moment tell you when, when, when it's right. Because if you can listen to that instinct, it'll tell you the perfect moment. Um, and I would say this is true for everything in life. Um, so yeah, that's the point of Gnosis. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll end with a, just reading a, a little quote from this book. I read that one quote about aligning the will of the universe, the point of gnosis, because it does take, here, here's where it, it is a little magical. It's like, it takes a little bit of faith to know that there are forces that are not your conscious mind that can guide you better than your conscious mind. You don't have to accept anything I said in this episode that's more mystical than that. If you can just accept that, that's that's fine. I mean, you can do whatever you want. What was the quote I want to read? Existence. All right. <clears throat> Existence is the great indulgence. Anything less than this, any attempt to avoid part of oneself is in to invite loss of form, a self-negation leading to a shrinkage of spirit. The self alone is God and should recognize itself in all things. Acceptance and living without restraint, I will call the highest virtue. Yeah, so leave it at that. Thanks for having coffee with me. And um, I guess announcements, uh, if you if you watch this, I'm grateful that you want to stare at me while I drink my coffee this morning, but please listen to the podcast uh, instead. There's no reason why you need to, to watch me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this every episode. I'm sorry if this gets annoying, but this, this, is, the, this is the plug I want to make. The other plug I want to make is that uh, my new website's up and the archetype class is available if you are a man who wants to explore um, his archetypal masculinity, his true expression of masculinity that is beneath whatever your conscious expression of what you think ma being a man should be or what you think, what culture is telling you. If you want to discover what's actually within you, as far as your testosterone driven behaviors that have been passed down to you from thousands of generations of male humans that have come before you, you can check out the archetype classes at rwando.com slash archetype. Um, other, oh, uh, Christian Graugart, who's the founder of BJJ Globetrotters was on the podcast. Uh, that episode's coming out next week. Actually yesterday, I think had an episode come out with Sarah Steele of the Let's Talk About Sex podcast. It's really, if you're into cult psychology, definitely listen to that one. It's very interesting. It was interesting to me. I'm also on her show, which I think also came out. Uh, she did an episode, she did a two part series on the cult I was in. So lots of cult stuff available if you want to check that out. Um, I think that's it.
I'm going to be posting more on Instagram, but reluctantly. I'm going to talk more about that some other time, the artist marketer dilemma. All right. Thanks for watching, listening. Goodbye.